0: Welcome to The Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and this is our Q&A show. Every week, we post a personal development question on my Facebook page at Agent K Miller to hear the nitty-gritty of real-world change and growth. Why? Hearing how other aspiring people are progressing and overcoming is just some of the best medicine for further inspiring us to progress and overcome and achieve positive change in our lives. Have you had an area in life where you once underperformed and were thought to not have much ability and you ultimately came to succeed in this area? Or do you have an area in life you've been told you can't do it, you can't make it, and you've believed it? Well, maybe you should think again. I Kick us off by playing a a three-and-a-half-minute clip from Zig Ziglar, where he shares a story actually about one of his daughters who was deemed in school as not a high academic performer. That perception was carried out really by everyone around her, even Zig and his wife, Jean. We he shares what transpired in later years, and as you can imagine, it's an inspiring story. Well, from this, I ask a question on Facebook, uh, where I invite you again, you can join us just find and friend me there at agent K Miller. But this week I asked the question, have you had an area in life where you once underperformed and were thought to not have much ability and later came back to succeed in this area? Tom Ziegler, join me to talk through your comments. I believe you'll find great confirmation and probably some conviction. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. Okay, friends. Here then, Zig Ziegler kicks us off with a three and a half minute message. Here we go. How does your
1: image affect Your performance. And how does the way you see other people affect their performance? When our daughter Julie was in the fifth grade, the teacher came to us and said, Julie is an average student. She'll make C's primarily. She'll make an occasional B and an occasional D. But don't worry about it. She's very personable. She makes a lot of friends. But don't be too hard on her if she's not a top performer. We never told our little girl she was a C student. The teacher never told our little girl that she was a C student. But as I will share in the next seminar about the fact that you treat people exactly like you see them, I'm certain in a thousand different ways we communicated to Julie, we expect a C performance out of you. Three years ago, after having been out of school for something like 17 years, she went back to school her first semester, she carried 16 very tough hours, including two very difficult labs. She made the dean's list. She came within a whisper of a 4.0. I never will forget one night I called over to the house to talk to either her or her husband, Jim Norman, who's the CEO of our company, and I said, let me speak to Julie after we had chatted. And he said she started laughing. I said, what you laughing about? He said, is next door teaching Diane the advanced math. Let me tell you why he was laughing about that. Because all of her life, or the first portion of her life, she had had that old refrain 17,000 times, where, you know, I just, I just can't learn math. 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 And here she was over there teaching advanced math to one of the neighbors. Now, what had happened? Well, she explained it to me. She said, Dad, I discovered that knowledge reveals itself to anyone who diligently pursues it. She said, I had never really mastered the formulas. And she said, when I learned those formulas, hey, math is a snap, it is easy. Now let's explore for a moment and see, is that an unusual story? How many of you in this audience today... Ten or more years after you got out of your formal education, decided you're going to go back and get more education. Can I see your hands, please? Hold them real high, and everybody look around. Look at all of the hands that are up, the numbers of hands. Okay, now, how many of you, when you went back, did better, and in some cases, substantially better, than you'd done uh, when you'd been in school the first time? Can I see your hands, please? Now, I can't obviously see every hand, but it seems that virtually every one of them is up again. Let me tell you why you did. You planned to do better. You prepared to do better. You expected to do better, and you went back at your own expense. (laughs) It's called commitment. Let me tell you something else. You had learned over the years that you were a bright, productive person That picture you had of yourself and your very ambition to go back really said an awful lot about you. When the image changes, the performance absolutely is going to change.
0: All right, friends, again, from Zig's message there, I asked the question, have you had an area in life where you once underperformed and were thought to not have much ability and later came back to succeed in this area? Here then Tom Ziegler joins me to talk through your comments. Tom, this question is important. I know you have had so many examples of walking with people mean, we all know the person who started something, you know, like you, I don't know if this is true, but at some point you went out on the golf course with your dad, play some golf. You did well, maybe you had a natural knack for it. You progressed and you know, you were on the on the path to possibly even go pro at some point, that's not the story we're talking about here. We're talking about the thing that somebody, uh, they weren't good at, or they were told they weren't good at, and they then overcame that. And I am sure through the, your time at Ziggler walking with so many people, you have been privy to some dramatic stories of people who fit that scenario. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And you know what the, the most common storyline is, is that they're just told in general, Oh, you, you know, you can't do that. Not even related to a specific thing. Oh. And because of that, they go into anything they try that's new with the expectation of, well, I'm not going to be very good at that. And then of course, what happens when we try something new? Yeah. We're not very good at it. Yeah and it's confirmation and so they give up. And then somebody comes back into the life into the picture and says, "Wait a second, try that again. Try it this way. What about if you looked at it from this perspective instead of that?" And all of a sudden they're like, "Hey, wait a second. This is this is natural. This is easy." Yeah. You know, I am good at it. And so we we see it all the time. We see it every day.
0: Well, I, I knew you did, and I have as well. And we've got some great stories here that I think will bring out some of the key points uh, for this. Here, I'll just, I'll just start off from the top. Here, Kim Duncan, she says, "My father once told me he thought I was the least athletic of his five children." To celebrate turning fifty, I ran a marathon. And the first first thing I thought of, though, there, Tom. Uh, That is a difficult one. I mean, she didn't say her dad was a bad guy, or he berated her. He may have pointed out something that was true. I mean, I have a bunch of kids, and I have some that are literally that they're more naturally athletic, or or more inclined to pursue that than others, and they know it. And I I hope that I'm well. The point it's so hard not to label kids. So for the parents out there, or the 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 people who had parents who gave them a label, not out of any malice or anything. I mean, it's really hard. Not to, but my goodness, it has such weight. You know,
2: what's interesting to me is, you know, one of the things that I learned growing up and that I've studied and researched is that you, you never point out or compare a quality that somebody has no control over. Hmm. Okay. So when you, when you when you compliment a child by saying, Oh, you're so smart or, Oh, you're so athletic. And that's the that's the gene pool lottery. You know, I mean, they got a blessing in that area that gives them an advantage in that area, but they have no control over that. They have no control over, you know, the, the innate intelligence they started with, or their innate athletic ability. And so what we always do and what we always compliment and acknowledge is the attributes and the qualities that we do have control over. Because when you look at the top level at any field, whether it's athletics or academics or business or relationships, it's the people who have the grit, who have the perseverance, who have the character, who have the qualities that we do have control over. Yeah. And, and so it's interesting. Uh, some people are naturally bent. It sounds like Kim is that when you, you when somebody says, well, you know, you can't, or you're not as good at, it, it's almost like a challenge, right? Yeah. Other people, they just go, Oh, well, that must be me. And they move on. Yeah. And that's where we see the danger. That's where we see disappointment and people not living out their full potential.
0: Absolutely, man. I'll just, the, the parenting thing again is just, uh, you gave me some thoughts as I was thinking there. Yeah. Just, just interest. I have two boys, 13 and 14 and one you know gets labeled the smart one. Well, he's interested in academics. The other one gets labeled the athletic one. He's interested in athletics. Doesn't mean it's a, a true statement of their ability. It's just their propensity, but my goodness, right. it's just hard not to hear those labels. Well, Kim, thank you. Christine here. She says, I failed speech class in high school. Now I get paid to speak. Uh, and I responded to her on Facebook. I said, that's, that's incredible. What motivated you? And she said, I found something to speak about that. I'm very passionate about and I love it. I'm still super shy. I get nervous before starting, but the referrals tell me I'm pretty good at what I do. Uh, you know, it reminded me of that, uh, kind of pithy statement. Uh, okay. So I have this Tom at, at my kitchen, you, you've been in my kitchen. So at the sink there, there's a little, uh, little, like a not ceramic, like a pottery sign that says, what would you do if you could not fail? Most people have seen that sign, seen that meme, heard that, and we get the idea. So about a week ago, two weeks ago, I, and I think by the recording of this show, we'll have, we'll have, uh, produced an interview with John Asaraf. And he said, better than that statement, what would you do if you knew you would fail initially? You know, what we, I mean, that's what we're mostly facing. What were the things we would do? I mean, do you have a business, Tom? Do you have an endeavor right now that you feel like I'm going after it? Even if I fail initially, you know, ultimately I'm going to pursue, but I'm probably going to fail. Uh, on the, on the outset or have some failings or some missteps along the way. And I love that perspective. And so for her to say, man, I am still super shy. I still get nervous before starting, but I have something I am passionate about. And now she's getting paid to do the thing that she f- literally failed in, in high school is a beautiful story.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, when you think of somebody who's an effective speaker, uh, whether they're inspirational or motivational or educational the thing that always you hear back the people who keep saying oh they're really good are the ones that are authentic and transparent. And when you're passionate about something, your authenticity and your transparency comes out. Uh, and and Christine, I'll I'll tell you something about me. This was kind of a revelation yesterday. Uh, when I speak, I'm an introvert, so I'm a I'm an in the DISC personality profile. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of the S right. I'm the relationship guy. I'm not the front of the room. I'm behind the scenes. Uh, But S the S type is very family oriented. I mean, we just love relationships. We don't like conflict. And one of the things I noticed is that almost every speech that I start, I, wherever I am in the world, I'll, I'll ask people, how many of you are familiar with Zig Ziglar? And then they'll, you know, big hands will go up. And then I'll say, okay, well, that makes us family Hmm. because you know our story. And it's interesting that when we're passionate about something and we are usually invited to speak to people who are also interested in that same subject, that's why we got invited. Well, they're already kind of family because we have the same interest. Yeah. And so... I didn't even realize I was doing it, but for me, that puts me at ease finding that common ground right out of the gate to know that we have a common interest, a common passion, common beliefs, and we're family.
0: Well, so on that aspect of passion, Tom, let me share a story about speaking. So there's a movie based on a true story called the music within I own it. Uh, it's actually a true, based on the story of how the American disabilities act uh, came to be, but the main character or, or the primary character in the movie decides he loves to speak. I'm sure you've heard this a lot of time, uh, times, Tom, people who, who really enjoy that, you know, being spoken to, they've had speakers that have really influenced their life and they say, man, I want to be a speaker. I've heard that a lot. Of course, my first question is, well, what do you want to speak on? Uh, and that's kind of the point of this. This guy was a great, brilliant speaker And the professor at the school he wanted to attend denied him. And he said, why? I'm, I'm great. I, 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 I'm the best speaker on stage. And he said, you're totally right, but you don't have anything that you're really passionate about that you know about. He says, go live life and earn an opinion. And so here's somebody opposite of what Christine. So this is the guy that won the speech class that she failed in high school and yet That was still the main need. What is it you care about? Christine found something that overcame her fear and, and maybe even her incompetence or drove her to become competent. And that's what we all want is back to what you said, Tom, we want that passion in there. That will uh, man. give me any, you know, in hiring, you know, this I'm hiring for skill. I I mean, for uh, sorry, not for skill. I'm hiring for character, for spirit. We can teach the skill. That's right. Well, Hey, trace, go ahead. Uh, Tra- no, Tracy here, Tracy Frederick. She says, uh, I, she says, I'm a hairstylist early in my career. I really struggled with hair color today. I am well known, uh, as a hair colorist. I'm booked weeks in advance. She said, pursue your passion, own your mistakes, learn, grow, and become the best you possible. I mean, how many people are out there doing something well that they just weren't good at? I think we still get, I, it's probably a school, Uh, issue not to harp on public school, but that is just the tendency to look and see where little Johnny or little, uh, Barbara are naturally inclined and to motivate them that way. And that may not be the thing that they care about. Um, but yeah, that's a hard, that's a hard pill to, to take care of for everybody.
2: You know, that reminds me, Tracy, of, uh, the comparison between Mickey Mantle and Ted Williams. This is a baseball analogy. All right. Um, both of them considered two of the greatest hitters that ever hit in baseball. And, uh, I believe Ted Williams had the highest batting average lifetime of anybody. And Mickey Mantle was a complete natural. Uh, he could just walk up to the plate, very little practice and hit the ball. Now, Ted, on the other hand, it was difficult for him. He became a student of the game. He had to learn every position, how to hold his hands, uh, how to swing, what level the bat would be on, how to read the picture, all these different things because it was difficult for him. And because he became a student of it and because it was initially difficult for him, he then became one of the greatest batting coaches who ever lived. If he got into a slump, like if he had trouble, he could work himself out of it by going back to what he learned, the fundamentals, the foundation. If Mickey Mantle got into a slump, he didn't know what to do. He just kind of had to hit his way out of it. Mickey Mantle couldn't teach anybody else how to hit because he was a complete natural. And so we envy people who are naturals, but the ones who have difficulty in the beginning are the ones who really have the biggest impact on those that are around because now I'm sure you have other hairstylists coming to you saying, how do I use color? How do I do this? How do I do that? That's a, and you have a different perspective because of your initial challenge uh, with that than somebody who just had that feel and could get it right.
0: You know, it's interesting, Tom, that came up somewhat of that topic came up recently and I I really can't remember if it was an interview I did here on the show or a book I'm reading. Uh, I have enough input coming in these days that I, I don't always keep track. But it was on that the things that come naturally to us we generally have a harder time teaching. And I thought about that because I had somebody ask me about doing a good interview. What are the things? What are the steps to doing a good interview? I, and you know, I, I can I can I say this humbly? It I I don't know. It just tends to come naturally. I'm a good you know conversationalist and and whatnot you want me to teach you something I could probably do better at teaching you some of the aspects of designing and general contracting and building your house. Cause I did that and I was not that good at it. I had to be taught every step of the way. And, uh, it's, an, so it's interesting when we look at that, my wife's the same way with dancing. She's a natural dancer. She was a professional dancer. She really has a hard time teaching it. We have a teacher that teaches our kids, not her cause she doesn't really know how to yeah to, to, to teach that to tell somebody She's the Mickey Mantle of your story. Uh, Well, this is a great one, Tom. You're going to like this. Terry Johnson. She says, I started in the life insurance business in 1991 when I was 22, and I was terrible at it. I nearly starved to death. I was so bad. I felt like an imposter, but I knew it was my calling. I had to quit and get a real job, in quotes, and get some life skills and life experience. I had four kids and a mortgage then nine years later, I felt like I had enough life experience to walk the talk and went back to the business. I was scared to fail again, but I stuck to it. I've never looked back. Now I have six staff. I have a, I'm a seven time million dollar round table qualifier. I have close to a thousand clients. And he says, follow your heart. Well, I ask him then I said, I'm curious, how did, why did you think that it was your calling? And he responded back saying, Because I lost my dad when he was 43, and we lost our house, business, and our family split up afterwards. So I was very passionate about not letting that happen to others. And the reference here is uh, obviously his dad didn't have life insurance, so he dies at the age of 43 with no financial support and that hurt this guy. It hurt Terry. And so there is where his calling is. So he said, I'm passionate about not letting that happen to others. I just wasn't very good at it early on. Now uh, I am thanks to God. That's motive right there. I mean, who do you want selling you life insurance? Somebody who thinks it's a good job, a lucrative income, or somebody who has a story like that and wants to help your family.
2: Yeah, I have to tell the life insurance story uh, for Terry. When I was about 26, 27, uh, dad and I were in Atlanta. He had spoken. I sold product at the back of the room. It was an evening session. We hadn't had dinner. We got done about 10. And on the way back to the hotel, dad said, hey, do you want to stop and get a bite to eat? I said, sure. So we go into Denny's. It's almost 11 now. We sit down and our waitress comes up. And she asked us for our drink order. She was nearly I would say close to seventy and she went and she took the order, and she left and as dad walked off or as she walked off, Dad looked at me and said, "Son," and he shook his head kind of sadly. He said, "An insurance man didn't do his job hmm. and I had no idea what he meant. so I said, "What do you mean?" And he said, "Son, it's Friday night, it's eleven o'clock." She's almost 70. Do you think she's working here because she wants to? Mm -hmm. He said 30 or 40 years ago, an insurance man probably met with her and her husband and he didn't make the sale. Mm -hmm. That was my first understanding of what insurance, especially life insurance really is. And so Terry, I commend you for that. Now there's a saying we have at Ziegler. Uh, This is a Brian Flanagan saying, he says all when it comes to your career put your professionalism before your passion put your professionalism before your passion and so really that's what happened you started young in life insurance your passion was going and driving you you know into it because that was your calling but your professionalism hadn't had a chance to develop Uh, We see this all the time in sales and in people who are entrepreneurs and starting their own business. think that their passion is going to carry them through when the world, they want your passion, but they absolutely must see your professionalism in the process. Mm -hmm. And so really, that's really, uh, that's a, that's a powerful, powerful lesson. Hey, Let's go win the race and let's win it the right way. Mm-hmm. That's really what we're talking about.
0: Man, that, and that speaks to my history a lot, Tom. I've done a lot of things out of, out of passion. Uh, it's something I cared about and I didn't pursue the professionalism enough. It wasn't on the same level and I was hurt by that. You know, when you said uh, it taught you about life insurance, I also, I, I actually thought you were going to say it taught you about sales and about, you know, sales and caring uh, that's, you know, how terrible that life insurance salesman didn't make that sale. How often do we find ourselves with something we know somebody needs? We know uh, we could help them and we're not able to help them overcome the obstacles to go ahead and make the decision and purchase or invest in what we know would, uh, would benefit and what they know that they need, but they don't want to make the decision um, on that folks. If you, if you're hearing that, if you have not read the classic secrets of closing the sale uh, by Zig Ziglar, go to Ziglar.com and buy that thing. I don't, uh, the amount of people that we know who are wildly successful in sales and selling the things that they care about, uh, how many of them cite that book? It's gotta be 80%. I mean, it's a, it's a Hallmark classic there folks. And it's as relevant today as it ever has been. And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. use promo code kevin airdoctorpro.com promo code kevin All right this one is uh is great it's a uh, caterzina Katar- Jenner. She says, uh, school was the issue for her. I came to the U S not speaking English and doing other things differently. I was eight in 1987 from communist Poland. The language barrier hindered the evidence of my knowledge and, uh, held me back all through high school. To make a long story short, I went on to earn my MA in psychology and I look forward to pursuing my doctorate. Uh, okay, I'm going to follow it, though, Tom, with another one. Barb Goney, she says, uh, for her, it was teaching. I'm a non-native English speaker. I went to the U.K. at uh, age 17 with zero English And within a year, I was studying at one of the top 10 universities. I trained as a primary school teacher. And in my first teaching role, I was bullied by the new school management. When, uh, when observed, I was always made to feel like I was a terrible teacher because management was trying to cut costs and find reasons to fire people, which she learned about later. And new foreign teachers were an easy target. I left primary school teaching for a good feeling that I just wasn't a good teacher. And I trained as an English teacher for adults instead, which eventually led to teaching children as well. Since leaving the primary school environment, I've gotten nothing but praise from learners, parents, managers, uh, consistently getting the excellent performance evaluation reviews. I now know I am an outstanding teacher. And I feel sorry for how many other teachers left the profession under similar circumstances, never knowing how great they were or could have become if they had been given the chance. A couple big points out of both those ladies who are in a similar environment or come from a similar background. One is just the aspect of environment matters. I mean, Tom, I don't know. I have had a couple, well, you know what? I've had one experience, I think, where I was in a bad environment back in, gosh, it would have been 1999, I think. We had a startup. This was during the dot-com time and had a guy with a lot of money Trying to establish a dot com incubator, he bought a fledgling business that a buddy and my uh, and I had started. I uh, had a hundred million dollars line of credit, and we were just going to go rock. It. But what he did is he bought it and brought us in primarily me brought me in to his company. Now I became an employee i don 't know how to be an employee, Tom. all I know is my own autonomy. I was terrible. It was a terrible experience. And I am confident that him and everyone involved with the company thought I was one of the more incompetent, bad purchases and investments they had ever made. Because in that environment, I, it just didn't work. And I, you know, to what Barb is talking about here, she, she was obviously in an environment that did not work for her. And based on that, she looked incompetent. She looked like she did not have the right skill, but put her in the right place. Man, how many people have experienced that? And Tom, I'm sure you've seen amazing success stories, uh, just from that people in, in a wrong environment. It wasn't them. I mean, there, there is credence to the environment that you're in.
2: You know, that's, that's a, a, a choice, uh, that people get wrong. So many times they, they think that because somebody's different, that they're not as good as they could be or should be. I look at anybody who speaks more than one language and I'm intimidated, right? When I look at um, people who are diagnosed with some sort of uh, of learning disability, like ADD or dyslexia or something like that, I also know because of the research that 30% of them are at the genius level, which is about, you know, I think it's like, five or six times the average. So anytime I see somebody who's struggling with something like that, I automatically assume they're smarter than me. So, <laughs> and that's not the way the world sees it, right? The world sees it in a different way. But what does this do for me? It allows for me to see, hey, what is a real gift or talent? What is it they can do? And, and that is a challenge in to keep your own self-image, your own self-esteem your own belief in who you are and what you can accomplish when the majority of the world has a worldview that says things that just are inaccurate. Yeah. And so I commend uh-huh. uh, Barb and Kennedy.
0: Cartesina yeah.
2: for, for coming back in and, and going after it again. That's probably, uh, if you look at one of the most difficult things to do in life, it's to, it's to go back and do something that people said you couldn't do. Yeah. I mean, that says a lot about who you are. So if you two were here, you'd be getting a double high five.
0: (laughs) High fives from Tom. If you're not seeing it, but I I saw it. You guys just got it. Uh, Here's another one, Tom. Jennifer, she says, I used to think I was a terrible writer because I couldn't write like people I look up to who I thought were good. Very smart. Those same people negatively criticized my writing, and I believed them. My grades were poor as a result. In college, however, I tried writing the way I wanted to and got straight A's and a note from my teacher that I should major in writing. I think a combination of encouragement from an outside source uh, and not being afraid to write in my, in quotes, weird voice and general growth in the field after uh, much trial and error led to my success man I, again, we just know those stories there's a It wasn't a meme it was like a video or something on on Facebook. I don't know who put it out. It might have been goalcast or something like that that put it out and it was just a list of all the successful people icons in our culture right now who were initially labeled as Failures as as actually being bad. I mean, Einstein, you know, was one of those. I, the one that I always think of is James Earl Jones. I mean, that guy's voice has made him who knows a hundred million bucks, and he stuttered. I mean, he couldn't talk. He was horrible. He was deemed you know terrible, and that's the thing that he went and it became his glory. And we just hear that. So often again, it's, I I think I also want to put that reminder out there for us to be careful. It's like the first question we started off with to be so careful how we label other people, not just our kids, even, but our employees, our coworkers, uh, whoever, just to be so careful. Labels are so weighty. Thank goodness. It didn't uh, derail Jennifer. And she did have someone who encouraged her.
2: Yeah, that reminds me of a uh, Carol Burnett, the famous uh, comedian. Uh, I saw her on a show and they said, they asked her the question, well, how was it like growing up? And she said, well, I would go into my bathroom and make faces into the mirror. And she said, my mom would catch me and she would make me stop and say, what good is that ever going to do you? Mm. And of course, if you ever watch Carol Burnett, her faces and her physical comedy is probably some of the best that's ever been on the planet. Uh-huh. And so I, you know, if somebody has a different view, a different take, a different style uh, that's not mainstream, and the key is, is to refine it, perfect it, and, 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 and go with it to see how it will solve a problem or benefit somebody else, you know, create hope and a future for others, or maybe just inspire them to do something they didn't think about doing, because we all, all of us, uh, we have things that are unique to us that don't appeal to everybody, but do appeal to a certain group of people. And I think that's who we were created to serve.
0: I agree. And we're at, never been a better time than now to stand out because we have so much, we're inundated with so much. Uh, and uh, most of it's the same. And it is Easier than ever in some ways to stand out these days. Well, hey, here's, I'm going to do one more here. Tyson, he says, I was, is this a similar one? I was told by teachers I would never amount to anything, and I believed them for a while, but eventually proved them wrong. Now, I know Tyson, he's, uh, he's out motivating. He's a Ziggler a esque guy. He's out here living and paying it forward, uh, the same aspects of inspiring people as Zig. And I asked him, I said, was there any specific turning point or catalyst for you when you, when you stopped believing them and started believing something different? And he says, yes, there was my math teacher said I could do anything if I put my mind to it. And he was right. Uh, it reminded me, and I'll, I'll let you, I'll let you end us with this story. I hope, hope people have listened to enough podcasts. They've heard it from Zig himself, but you tell it, it just reminded me of Zig's classic story, his turning point in his own sales career where he got up, and went to the sales meeting that he didn't want to go to, almost didn't do it. And his sales manager, uh, I don't know if it was manager, or something like that, Tom, you can tell the specifics, said something to him that turned the tide.
2: Yeah, his name was P.C. Merrill. Right, right. And in fact, if you come to Ziegler headquarters today, you'll see P.C. Merrill's picture on the wall of gratitude. Yes. Uh, is one of the people in dad's life that, that really changed his life. Uh, dad was struggling. He'd been there for two and a half years. He hadn't sold anything. P.C. Merrill was a corporate executive. He was kind of an icon, somebody that dad and many of the people looked up to. And at this meeting, uh, dad was there and, you know, kind of on the side during a break, P.C. Merrill came up to dad, put his hands on his shoulders, looked dad in the eye and, and said this, he said, Zig and all my life, I've never seen such a waste, but if you believed in yourself and went to work on a regular schedule, you could be a champion. So what he had acknowledged was, Hey, it's been tough, right? You've worked hard and hadn't accomplished much, but I believe you could be a champion if you believed in yourself and went to work on a regular schedule. So dad left that point, you know, he left that thinking, wow, somebody I respect and admire, somebody who's seen a lot believes I can be a champion that belief transferred to dad. And that was the day that changed his life because he then went on a lifelong mission to figure out what does it mean to believe in myself? And he went to work on a regular schedule. So those are two things that I love because it's like the whole package. You got to change your mindset and then you got to change your action. And that's what happened. And so Tyson, uh, I'm glad you're a Ziggler fan. Uh, You've got the same story as dad. So, well, you know, that's awesome.
0: It it is. And, you know, the thing that I love about that story, Tom, is I I want people to hear that. Zig Ziglar. We just talked a minute ago about Secrets of Closing the Sale, one of the most uh, paramount books on sales on planet Earth ever. And he started out, and he was not a natural. He was not a natural. That story that you talked about, that turning point, uh, the piece that stands out to me is what he went on to say is that he, he went from that point and accelerated and, and had wild success in a short period of time in sales. And he says, he didn't really learn anything more about sales. He already knew the tenets of selling. He already knew the strategies of selling. It was just him changing his own self image and perception. How many times do we all have the knowledge that we need? It's already inside of us. We just need to be seeing ourselves differently, uh, which is key message of Ziegler. Tom, man, always a gift to do this. Folks, thanks for everybody who uh, shared. It makes these shows so rich. I always leave. These are the shows that inspire me the most. Or maybe it's just that I'm looking at you, Tom, one or the other. (laughs) It's good. It's good. I love it. I love it. Thanks, everybody. Friends, I know many of you feel great confirmation for your own lives and overcoming from what you just heard on this show. And others, you may have just found some great conviction. Both are beautiful and priceless. Hey, right now, is there someone you know who would benefit from hearing the message in this show? Shoot them a quick recommendation for The Ziegler Show, episode 682. Be a hero and help inspire someone else's true performance today. Coming up next in show 683, we're going to talk about winning the war over your body. It's doubtful anyone listening to The Ziegler Show would say no to being trimmer or more muscular or just having more energy and vitality. Most of you are probably making efforts to eat healthy and get some exercise. But are you getting the results you want? It increasingly seems people are more frustrated than grateful for the status of their body and health. Is your body the enemy? Is it betraying you? If you resonate with any of this, you're going to get great value from this show. My guest is Angelo Poli, an internationally recognized expert in fitness and nutrition. He's the founder of MetPro, the world's first algorithm-based transformation engine using a process called metabolic profiling MetPro analyzes your metabolism and provides an individualized approach to obtaining your health goals. So Angelo has spent much of his career as a motivational speaker and was a featured speaker at TEDx Chico, where he discussed his own achievement in overcoming obstacles after recovering from a crippling injury himself that saw him use a cane for nine years. Angelo brought to light a whole new way of thinking about health and fitness and weight loss in his 20 years of educating the masses and challenging generalized health guidance Poli has become one of the most celebrated and desired body transformation experts in the world so in this show he'll explain why you're not getting the results you want and i guarantee it will make sense and he doesn't tell you what to eat what exercise to use or even what magic supplement to take you're going to enjoy this till then folks thank you